0: Hello listeners, this is Producer John. Open Pike Night is gonna be at Trek Long Island 2024. From May 31st to June 2nd, Cameron and myself, Producer John, will be in the Big Apple, living long and prospering. We'll be hosting a panel. We'll be giving out stickers. We will have our microphones. Be sure to follow Open Pike on social media and subscribe to openpike.substack.com because we also will be giving away some Trek Long Island weekend passes. Trek Long Island is May 31st to June 2nd at the Hyatt Regency in Hopog, New York. on hello hello
1: welcome to open pike night the strange new worlds podcast where your personal logs are the prime directive we're here tonight with some amazing guests on stage and in the studio to discuss episode six of Strange New World season two, Lost in Translation. Join us as we discuss life-changing audio, meet cutes in space, and how many zombies it would take us to realize that what we're seeing may not be reality.
2: Now, that strange noise you're hearing in your ear is not our usual fleet captain, John T. Bold, who could not make it today. Much like the Kirk brothers in this episode, he has a family reunion and is probably currently comparing career achievements with the siblings. Jesse, do you think hosting a Star Trek podcast would be an advantage or a disadvantage in that debate?
1: Oh, wow. Um, Well, having recently been to a toddler's birthday party, which is, you know, really just a gathering of adults talking about their lives um i'm gonna say it's an advantage in the right crowd and a disadvantage in the wrong crowd
2: (laughs) diplomatically put well that voice you just heard is my co-host the man who's learned everything he knows from watching youtube videos jesse
1: and the man whose headphones have caused him nothing but distress and the rest of us nothing but mirth host of green shirt a newbie's trek through the next generation cameron
2: Never skimp out and buy the cheap headphones. They will cause nightmare (laughs) visions. Now, I'm very excited for today's guest, a planetary scientist and Mars expert, a proud parent to many of the current robotic denizens of the red planet and possessor of simply the most sublime surname, Dr. Tanya Harrison.
3: Excited to be here with a fellow Harrison.
2: (laughs) Always, always. No relation, I don't think. Uh, So tell us a little bit about your relationship with Star Trek, Dr. Tanya.
3: Oh, gosh. I mean, Star Trek has been a huge part of my life literally since I was three or four years old when the next gen started. Mm. Uh, My parents watched Star Trek, and so I grew up watching it. And they watched it with me until partway through Voyager when I became extremely obsessed with Star Trek, more than just (laughs) interested in watching it with them. And it got to be a little bit too much. And they were like, we can't watch this with you anymore.
2: (laughs) Did it have a, a role in, in guiding you to the scientific pursuits?
3: Yeah, I remember very distinctly as a kid thinking that Geordi was such a cool character. The fact that he could just fix anything, build anything. It was like, okay, I want to work on starships. Of course, the closest thing we had by the time I was a little bit older was Mars Rovers. And so when the first Mars Rover landed on Mars, well, the first successful Mars Rover landed on <laughs> Mars in 97... The Russians crashed a bunch of stuff before that, but NASA landed the first successful Mars rover. Maybe you'll get some pedants in the comments that are like, well, actually there was a Russian one that like kind of worked. It didn't, it didn't work. I'll argue with those people, <laughs> but seeing an actual Mars rover driving on Mars, I was like, wow, I could be like Jordy, but on Mars rovers, that's kind of a spaceship. Uh, and so I became very focused at that point. I was like, I want to work on Mars rovers, but I realized that I wasn't actually a very good engineer. Like I wasn't good at building things, but I was very good at conceptual stuff. So I became a scientist instead of an engineer. So I guess I went a little bit more like the Jadzia Dax wrote, which she was Mm -hmm. also a big influence as a kid. I thought it was a really cool to see like a powerful woman character like that. I mean, kind of like all the female characters in Star Trek, which is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, I would say it was like a huge guiding path like toward what I ended up doing with my career.
1: I got to say I don't know. I don't think there's any pedantry in the Star Trek fandom. I, I've, I don't think I've ever encountered that before.
3: It's a very uh, you know welcoming environment all around. <laughs>
1: 100% of the time, right? now, yeah, It can be both. It can be both. If you have listened to Open Pike Night before, you do probably remember that we had an interview with Uhura herself, Celia Rose Gooding, and if you stick around to the end of this episode, you're going to hear a little bit of commentary that she wasn't able to share with us the last time she was here because this episode hadn't aired yet. So everybody make sure that you stick around at the end to hear from Uhura directly. Now, I think this is probably a pretty good spot to go ahead and jump into our first call of the week. And it comes
4: to us courtesy of our friend Trev. Open Pike Nights, Trev from the Failure to Franchise podcast, a show dedicated to failed movie franchise starters. Uh, this was another winner for me. So much so that I'm not even going to hold it against it that it got me mocked a little bit. I watched it with my girlfriend, who is a fairly recent Trek viewer. She couldn't help but laugh when she saw me get just a little emotional on seeing Kirk and Spock meet. Uh, that's okay, though. I own it. What I really want to highlight with this episode, though, is, of course, Celia Rose Gooding's work. I know the premiere was understandably the one they dedicated to the memory of Nichelle Nichols, but this week's was where Gooding got to pay tribute to Nichols and just did such great service to the character of Uhura, just hit it out of the park. This is one of the things I love about this show in general, its ability to flesh out and give more focus to the characters who are originally just sort of in the background, like Mbinga and Chapel. But we're getting it here now. Um, As great as Gooding has been in the role the whole time, I was still personally waiting for a story or episode where I thought she could finally definitively put her stamp on the character, make it her own. And I think this was the one. She was awesome. By the same token, I just want to give a quick shout out to Paul Wesley, who I thought was pretty fantastic in our first sustained look at Prime Kirk. He's found a way to capture the essence of the character without just doing the easy Shatner impression. So, yeah, as brief and simple as it was, that final moment with Kirk, Spock, and Uhura together, it was really moving as someone who's been living with these characters my whole life. So I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that scene and the episode in general. I loved it.
2: All right. Well, yeah, we got a lot of thoughts on that scene and uh, Paul Wesley's Kirk. So we'll tackle those a little bit later. But for now, let's talk about the start of this episode, Ahura and Celia Rose Gooding. I agree with everything Trev said. I think uh, she was great. I think this was a great episode to get more about Ahura's backstory. I, maybe I'm projecting here, but I do feel like Episode by episode, we are kind of seeing more and more glimpses of, of T.O.S. Uhura in the performance.
1: Oh, absolutely. And before we go anywhere, I just have to say, happy birthday, Paul Wesley. Today oh. is his birthday. And we just happened to be recording on it. And I mean, talk about pressure, right? Like, A lot of these actors knew they were stepping into huge roles, but... Uhura might be the one with the most pressure because she is a series regular, right? Kirk obviously has not been in every episode, which I got to say I'm grateful for, not because I don't like Paul Wesley, but because I just love Captain Pike and I love this crew and I want to see as much of them as I can. But yeah, I mean, excellent point, Trevor. I got to ask, Dr. Tanya, did you have any like... Resistance to any of these recastings going in because a lot of our audience is n- lukewarm on Captain Kirk, but they all seem to love Uhura.
3: I mean, i I felt like I wanted to give everybody a fair shot coming into the show. I I came in, I think initially kind of hesitant in general because I was like, "Oh, we're, we're going back into the past again." Like, I'd really love to see something new. Let's see some new characters. So I was pleasantly surprised with you know just the first few episodes of the st- series, seeing oh, wow, I actually really enjoy this. This feels like going back to what like the previous generation of Trek felt like in terms of the storytelling and the characters and like building up these backstories. Um, and so that was really great to see. And it is a lot of pressure, like you said, I'm sure, for all these actors that get put in these roles. I mean they're never going to be judged just for themselves, right? They're going to constantly be compared to these iconic characters that have been around for decades. And I feel like they've all done a pretty amazing job. And watching the character of Uhura develop over time, like both in terms of the character and like the backstory, like this episode, she's still, uh, you know, she's really like coming out of her shell, it feels like, compared to some of the other episodes where she's still a little bit like, not wanting to interact so much with everybody, um, but being a little bit more open about speaking about her emotions and connecting with people. uh, That was really, really great to see.
1: And that's an excellent point because it definitely, to me, paralleled the Ortega's mantra, you know, I am Erica Ortega's, I fly the ship. I feel like this is Uhura discovering. I am Nyota Uhura, I communicate with aliens. And it was just... (laughs) There was, you know, to watch a new actor step into this insanely long and, you know, very important legacy with such grace. I mean, we we couldn't get over Celia when we were interviewing them, but the confidence in such a young performer really does shine through in this episode. I mean, it's it's her episode and she carries it. And to Trev's point, I got to agree, like... This, you know, seeing seeing this episode, it felt like a love letter to Nichelle Nichols. You know, having this nuanced performance on top of the legacy, Nichelle Nichols, we as we know, passed recently, and she happened to pass on my actual birthday. So I'm like forever now, just gonna dedicate all of my birthdays to Nichelle Nichols and Uhura because, I mean, what a loss, right? But I can't believe the luck that we have as Star Trek fans to have this new Hura here to heal our hearts and keep us whole.
2: Yeah, I'm loving all the new information we're getting about Hura. I, I do love there's a scene here. Uh, it's going to be hard not to talk about the next episode, which has already dropped. And I'm sure most people <laughs> have seen by the time they're listening to this. But there is a nice little like scene, uh, complimentary scene in that episode with this one where we see what a hard worker her is. And she hates taking breaks and she kind of has to be forced to like give herself that room to breathe. And and that's, uh, yeah, it's really great flushing her out. I am curious about the size of the quarters incense kit on the enterprise, <laughs> like that's challenging Captain Pike's quarters. It's the flagship, Cameron. Everyone gets a suite, okay <laughs> I, I think that's the employee of the week's quarters, so and she just did a really good job. you know, she has been working hard, so
1: that's a good point now. Speaking of characters that we have come to know and love, mm-hmm. we finally get to see Hemmer again in this episode, and wow, did it just rip my heart straight out! So let's go directly in to Jesse's call here.
5: Hey, this is Jesse from Alaska. I have four thoughts on Lost in Translation. One, I would totally watch all the training videos with Hemmer. I thought that was great. Two. Will the real James Kirk please stand up? I was so excited that we uh, finally got to see the real James Kirk. Um, I really enjoyed the early friendships that started with, between him and Uhura, and I kind of loved it when she nailed him in the nose. Uh, their interactions like really spoke volumes. Three, Pelia and Una. I cannot wait for more. <laughs> uh, I love the headbutting. The uh, Space hippie quip was was excellent. Um I really I don't know, I just I got this uh like hippie mom with a Gen X adult kid <laughs> type of vibe from these two characters. And I I liked it that uh it really helped define both of their characters, you know. Una's very tidy and neat and and Pilly is the opposite. But we also saw them being able to work together. And four, uh, the only critique I have for this episode is that I knew where it was going once the episode started. Um, it's, it's just a, a trope that I've seen before. And it, I mean, that's not always a bad thing because then the writers can play with the character dynamics within the story. I just wasn't surprised by the overall story. And those are my thoughts.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, let's focus on the himmer of it all with this one. You're right, Jesse. We've got another beloved character coming back. We were promised more Bruce Horak. I'm actually surprised he came back as, as him or they were kind of teasing us that he might come back as a different character, which I still hope he might. But.
1: Yeah. Having having him reprise the same role in an honestly terrifying way. I, I, I The first time that we watched this, I texted Cameron and John and I said, you guys, before the opening credits... I have laughed, I have gotten emotional, and I have been genuinely scared. That that first jump cut with Zombie Hemmer, super intense, right? I mean, Star Trek doesn't frequently go the horror route, but Strange New Worlds has showed that they know what they're doing. Uh, Dr. Harrison, how do you feel about Hemmer? We didn't have you on season one, so we didn't get to talk about the newest engineer. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on Hemmer.
3: I loved Hemmer as a character and I was so bummed when they killed him off. I I felt like the death was very, I don't know. It almost felt like a little bit of a throwaway. Like, it, oh, well, <laughs> there he goes. Um, so it was great to see him come back. And in a way that is like very, you know, tied to the development of Uhura as a character because like he played such an influential role kind of coming up through that um, and like seeing her tied to the experiences that she's she's having. Um So, yeah, I'm curious if we get to see more. And that that first, like, I guess, zombie version was quite jarring. Because you're right, you don't tend to expect that from Star Trek.
1: Well, and I got to say, it felt like a little bit... I I mean, my my immediate question was like, is this whole episode going to mess with me? (laughs) Like, Because, you know, that and then the scene where the second Uhura stands up with the Kubrick stare behind Mm. the
2: first Uhura, I was like... The us scene? Yeah, I was
1: genuinely like icked by that but it's like i i gotta just throw it up again to the performers because even under all that makeup and all that terror you still feel all of the hammer love right like that you still recognize him and what a great device to get the audience on the same page as uhura now I got to agree with you, Jesse. I I feel like I saw the ending of this episode coming a mile away, but I think I may have had the opposite reaction to it, which was it made me feel a little comforted because I was thinking, you know, okay, I know none of these characters are going to get mortally wounded. Like this is this is a classic, um, you know, DMA uh, style episode like from Discovery. You've got this environmental catastrophe going on and nobody can figure out why. So I I feel like this fits right into the long history of, you know, Starfleet building gas stations in a poor spot.
2: (laughs) I was a little disappointed when we came back from the cold open and it turned out this was not going to be a zombie episode, I admit, (laughs) like at the end of the cold open, I was like, oh, my God, are we finally getting the zombie Star Trek episode? But uh, but I enjoyed the little bits of zombie we got. Uh, Bruce Horrock has played a deadite before on stage, so he uh, probably felt right at home in some zombie makeup. And uh, yeah, like you said, he has no lines in this, except I guess on yeah. the, the YouTube video. But like he there's so much emotion the writers have built between the two characters. And then like what he can do with his face under all that mo- makeup, both zombie and just and Dorian is, is really good. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've said this is a great her episode, and it is, but it's kind of Himmer's episode, too. I mean, both the A-plot and B-plot are about people dealing with his absence. It's good stuff. It is – this is not a critique. It is a little interesting that Ahura's main image at dealing with grief, like the, the person she lost that she's identifying with the most – is Himmer and not her parents? And I get it. it you know, we don't know her parents. We spent a season with Himmer. So as writers, we're going to, as an audience member, we're going to relate with Himmer. But it, it was a little weird that like, yeah, her, is Himmer more important than your parents and your brother? Uhura? Well, I the only
1: pushback I'll give you for that, Cam, is that I feel like this is, there are layers of grief here for Uhura, because she, mm-hmm. you know, she's not choosing to face this. She's choosing to, shut out her grief and not let it affect her so i think it actually fits that she would go like kind of a a most recent loss to most painful loss you know as the story goes on and it it does culminate Mm -hmm. in that shuttle scene and i'm like i'm I'm glad they didn't give us any more detail in that shuttle screen but like i mean there was there was some serious weight to this and i think for me, a lot of it comes down to Celia Gooding's facial acting. She is just mastering these subtle little, like, micro-expressions of, yes, I acknowledge that, but no, I don't have time to think about it. Like, she she gives Busy behind the eyes very well. I, I was deeply impressed all the way through with their performance.
3: And even the lack of dialogue at the end there, like when Hammer transforms from the zombie yes. to the, okay, they've been healed, and just the little nod of yep you did it mm-hmm. like that was such a beautiful a moment between the two of them and again being able to convey that through the makeup too just yeah, yeah. you did good kid
5: and it gives
4: yeah. like
1: a a nice bookend right like i think on maybe 90s trick uh that hammer would have <laughs> a line right like yeah mm-hmm. you did it or like
6: if not a speech. Yeah, <laughs> and,
1: and I think that, you know, this Star Trek seems to understand that sometimes less is more, especially when the entire rest of your episode could easily be classified as more,
2: I think. <laughs> uh, I do just real quick about the uh, the YouTube video. I do want to know, like, what Scorsese wannabe ensign was filming that because they were, like, pulling back from him or into an over-the-shoulder shot and there's a lot of, like, yeah, yeah, it was... And in, in classic Star Trek fashion, the, the video seemed very well produced.
1: Incredibly high production. Um, <laughs> so let's see. The last thing that I looked up a YouTube tutorial for <laughs> was how to change the EVAP control valve on a, uh, on the engine of my wife's car. Um, ah. And it, it I feel like it had fewer steps than this. Uh, do you, Do you guys remember what your <laughs> most recent YouTube tutorial was? We'll start with you, Doctor.
3: Oh gosh, I think it was how to how to
2: land a robot on Mars. <laughs> Did you look that one up? <laughs>
3: now, see, i it was all, all in that... Russian. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at all that impractical stuff. You need to know like what what's going on on Mars. I got that, but if it's like, I think the thing I googled or you looked on YouTube for was how do you clean the filter in the dishwasher that I have, which <laughs> I had never done before because it was starting. Do I have to do to that? Blood. Yeah, apparently that's a thing. I was like, oh, okay. So disassemble the dishwasher a little bit and uh, felt very accomplished. But I just remember I years and years ago, I used to date somebody whenever, whenever I didn't know how to do something that should be very simple in like day-to-day life. He'd be like, do you have a PhD or something?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Not in chores. Yeah, I can yeah. only do
3: hyper-specific, <laughs> impractical things. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, mine was also auto related. It was how to change one of the, like the little headlights in my car. I think it was, maybe it was the blinker light. I don't know. It was the one that you need like a child's hand to reach into the engine and like. (laughs) Seriously. how they get you. But I saved $500.
1: Yeah. You've got one of those foreign cars where they just assume everyone's hands are small.
2: And yeah, there we go.
1: Man. Yeah. And, and I gotta say, I think there is something about just that feeling of, you know, going down the checklist, like, okay, I did that thing. I did that thing. Here's the next thing to do, and it it provides a little bit of comfort, right, because you remember like, oh, right, I'm an adult with a uh, functioning faculties. I can totally do this i just I just need a little bit of help so very relatable moment from Uhura here, even though you know it's it almost struck me as like, oh, that's too modern, and then I remembered, actually, we've had so many episodes of Star Trek where they sit down and watch an episode of Star Trek on the bridge, so <laughs> probably not that big of a deal. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our third call for the evening, which comes from our good friend, Michelle.
2: Michelle.
7: Hey, Open Pike Night. Anytime we can get an Ahura centric episode, I am here for it. And Cellular Rose Gooding is phenomenal. I also appreciate how the sci-fi element was very much character-driven, that they chose Ahura because of her smarts, her skills, her intellect, but also we got to see her her trauma too and just some of her backstory, which was really great. Um, and that the, the fact that they believed her and they were trying to help her. Um, the Kirk of it all, I'm kind of on the fence. I appreciate the beginnings of his relationship with Ahura and seeing that. The the Sam Kirk and Jim Kirk stuff I'm I'm not so sure about but I always love seeing Sam and of course the epic last scene with Ahura introducing Spock and Kirk my TOS heart was all a flutter I also appreciate that we jumped around a bit to different characters like Una and Pelia which was great uh, that was again paying attention to serialized character development the Crusher connection. I do think that Beverly would have been a little more curious than Mbenga and maybe accompanied her back to her quarters and dug a little deeper. This also reminded me of the episode The Inner Light, which we just did a podcast with your Jesse. And it, it was really Picard being chosen by the, this race to communicate their culture. So kind of a little bit of a similarity there, which I thought was cool. So kind of a Crusher-Picard connection this week. Until next time, live long and prosper.
2: Live long and prosper, Michelle. All right, we're going to wait just a little bit longer before we get into the kirk of it all. But let's focus on Pelia and Una right now, because that is the B plot. And uh, I will say it's been very hard for me having, you know, we we watched the first six episodes and to not refer to Pelia as Space Hippie in those first five episodes. Very difficult on my part. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot going on there. What what were your thoughts on that?
3: I really liked the interaction with um, Pelia talking to her, actually, in in specific reference to Hemmer, saying, oh, he was one of my best students. She's like, actually, no, I just have to say that because he's dead now. I I was laughing (laughs) so so hard. (laughs) I'm not sure the actress that plays her, but she's doing a fantastic job with the delivery uh, of her lines.
2: (laughs) Ah, Carol Kane.
3: Carol Kane, okay.
1: And I feel like... Because of the characterization of Pelia, that's how she gets away with it, right? Because, yeah. like, anybody else says that and I would be pretty upset. Like, you, you are whoa, 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 you talking about, about Hammer? What are you doing here, right? <laughs> like, but I got to say, I, I think it helps the relatability of the whole crew because, I mean, specifically back in 90s Trek, right, it was like. These people are ultra competent. They do not make mistakes. It can be hard to identify with people like that at times. And to get such a a human moment between an alien and a human, about an alien and a human is just a great way to illustrate that, you know, some things for these people are just mundane, right? Like mm-hmm they're just living their lives and everybody's life has exciting stuff happening in it and then like big stretches of mundane things happening in it i got to ask did you I, I didn't immediately pick up what the issue was between una and pelia like cuz cause, cuz cause we know that una knew hammer right and she loves to fireman carry his unconscious body but <laughs> I didn't really, I don't feel like season one gave us a bunch of scenes between those two, so I wasn't sure immediately, like, oh, is this going to be a resentment based on the loss of Hemmer sort of thing? But, I mean, t- t- to know that it comes from a bad grade? Like, Una specifically, right? She's where fun goes to die. She's numero Una. She's, <laughs> she's in charge. She's very buttoned down. So to see her have this truly human moment I just, I thought it was great. And I, I gotta say Pelia with just disheveled hair, the open uniform, like grease on
2: her face. Like she feels crumbs, like apparently yeah, He's like Sam Kirk,
1: she feels like <laughs> such a car mechanic to me. Like she, this whole episode. And, and I love, love, love it, but we do see that she's got some seriously empathetic insights, right? Like. Mm -hmm. having the the wherewithal to know like i get that you don't like me una but the reason you just gave me total bullshit like i i know there's something deeper here and watching una be a little vulnerable when we know that she's actually basically invulnerable was a great development for her character and i gotta say i think pelia is helping everybody on this ship right like we're, we're kind of getting these little vignettes of her just dropping these, uh,
8: what's the truth what's bombs? Her? Truth, yeah,
1: dropping truth, truth bombs, photon th- torpedoes that she triggers with like thermonuclear wisdom that she has just had building up over thousands of years.
2: Uh, yes, let's see. You asked a question about five minutes ago, Jesse, <laughs> about uh, how, how. Pelia worked, I guess. Yeah, it is interesting. I know some people in our Discord kind of bumped on that, that we never really saw many scenes between Una and Pelia. So Una was a weird character to have that dynamic with. And I kind of agree. I didn't really pick up on that the first time. And we we assume the crew all know each other. And really, the only person who spent a lot of time with him or was Ahura, maybe Spock a little bit behind that. I think uh, the reason it does work is what Jesse from Alaska said, which is they are such... Polar opposite characters, and it's just so much fun to put them together and have the scenes interact, and and that kind of energy makes up for maybe we didn't see a lot of Una and Hammer scenes in the first season.
3: Yeah, I wasn't expecting that to be the cause of the tension. I thought initially it was just you know una's very straight laced and serious, and so maybe she wasn't having a lot of respect for Pelia being kind of disheveled and all over the place, and especially with the line about how I'm younger than you, but way ahead in terms of promotions. And I was waiting for Mm Pelia to shoot back with something about like kind of mirroring the discussion between um, the Kirk brothers of, you know, what does my ambition have to do with you? Uh, Pelia is saying something like my ambition isn't to move up the ranks. I like being the the grease monkey or I, I like where I am. That doesn't have any reflection on who I am as a person or the skills that I have. It's just what I've chosen for my life and my career. So I, that was, that didn't go the direction I was expecting at all.
2: Does that make Una the Captain Jellico to Pellia's Riker?
3: <laughs> oh, <no.
2: laughs>
1: oh, no. I was going to say that because specifically Cameron, because there was a moment where I was like, am I, am I mad at Una right now? Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't like, want why her to have her? said that.
9: <laughs> yeah. And.
1: And just like with Jellico, right, she couches it in like, "Hey, this is my job. you know, my job is to tell you what to do. I'm supposed to be in command." And just like with Jellicoe, that's maybe kind of a flimsy reasoning for treating people however you want. But that's a great point, Tanya. I hadn't even considered the parallel between them and the Kirk brothers until you brought it up. I mean, I've kind of watched it as like two concurrent plots, but I didn't really think about how they mixed. That's a great
2: great point mm-hmm. i also i made a list of people who say malarkey and it's pelia and joseph biden so <laughs> now it's headcanon that they hung out in the past uh maybe she helped him on a campaign at one point point. and uh re- re- let's remember this connection because i might come in next episode let's think oh, about that that's mm-hmm. what we call in the business a tease uh, and one final uh, note on what michelle brought about was yeah the her is seeming chosen. I did. I mean, one small complaint with the episode is they don't even try to hand wave away why it was these two people who could hear the interdimensional aliens. I would have liked maybe just some little like this is why you heard them, as opposed to like well you were listening. That that felt a little space hippie.
1: I I don't disagree with that. And uh, we actually, to Michelle's point, we did talk about this in the Inner Light. Do we think that this selection process may have been subjective? rather than like, oh, just keyed to whoever the first person that shows up is. Because if that were the case, then I think Data would have had the inner light other life experience because he's further forward on the bridge and <laughs> he's <laughs> arguably the most intelligent one there, right? So you'd think that the probe would go, oh, technology, I can, I can plug into that. But I posited that maybe the probe was looking specifically for a scientist like Jean-Luc who has a deep love of mystery like Jean-Luc and who's like a huge archaeology geek like
4: Jean-Luc.
9: <laughs>
1: so maybe there was some subjectivity here because we know these are living beings and it seems like maybe they don't have full control over what they do in our dimension, right? Like they're just kind of poking right. a tentacle out there and seeing what they can see. But I I think that for me, that's one of those like, it's not an it's not a satisfying answer. But the answer is because she's the communications officer, so that makes the story make
2: sense. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a deal breaker, but
3: that makes me think of one like nitpicky thing from the episode, kind of related to uh, terminology when, mm-hmm. uh, um, Kirk's brother talks about being a Xeno-anthropologist, I think is the term that he used. Um, but like anthro is it like referring specifically to humans. So it's like, Oh, but if, he, if he's, if he's a xenoanthropologist, is he studying the history of humans beyond earth or is he actually like studying the history of species in general? In which case, what word would we use for that? Cause we probably wouldn't actually have the word anthro in there. So there's a sciencey thing for us to all ponder.
2: Uh, I do love Dr. Tanya that we brought you a planetary scientist on for an episode that has no planets,
3: <laughs> no planets. <laughs> and it's like, It's a, it's a very heavy episode couched between two very lighthearted episodes. I was like, wow, I drew the (laughs) short straw in this one. (laughs) I want to talk about like jokes from
2: charades,
3: (laughs) but no, this one was, this was a very good episode,
2: (laughs) but I do have a terminology question for you. Astrometrics. Is that a real thing or is that technobabble? Trechnobabble.
3: Um, I mean, it's technically a thing, but it's not a term that gets thrown around a lot. Um so it's interesting that it's become a thing so much in Star Trek. But I guess if you're like prod- plotting trajectories and stuff like that for where you're going all the time, it would make a little bit more sense that you're using it in a Star Trek space versus right now usually we're just you know, we're calculating how to get a spaceship from here to the moon or here to Mars. So we're yeah. not doing a lot of we're not doing a lot in that space right now.
2: Right, right. So maybe in the future it would it'll become a thing.
3: Yeah. Well,
1: and the answer to Sam Kirk's job title might just be that Zeno sounds so cool on the front of any kind of ologist, right? Like we had the Zeno linguistics uh, for for uh, Michael in Discovery. But I mean, it does. I had never thought about that. Zeno anthropology seems a little contradicting. Like, yeah. Huh.
2: I do love that we get to see Sam use his skills though. way. Uh, I have other thoughts on Sam later, but. Yes, yeah. we'll
1: actually talk about Sam very soon after we hear from the second half of the Crusher Convo, our friend who is also named Jesse.
10: Hey guys, it's Jesse. I really enjoyed this episode of Strange New Worlds. Bringing Hammer back the way they did was fantastic. I loved Una and Pelia's scenes and seeing a different side to Una. I also felt this episode was perfect to showcase Uhura. And just what she can do. I love the creepiness of it all and how we didn't even know what was going on. So I always like that kind of mystery when it comes to those kind of episodes. My minor nitpick is going to be too much Kirk. Okay, guys, hear this thing. I know they're showcasing him because he will inherit the Enterprise one day. And the meeting of Uhura, Kirk, and Spock at the end was nice. But I am here to see the current crew of the Enterprise. I felt they could have utilized the other characters more than just keep bringing Kirk back. I want more Ortegas. I want more Mbenga. I want more Una. That is what I would like to see. And that is why I watch Strange New World. So to see Kirk helping out Uhura, and I get it, you know, TOS, all that stuff, great. But I don't know. It's just, I'm kind of getting sick of Kirk. Love Paul. Paul's great, but... He needs, you know, that character just needs to take a little backseat. But you know what? <laughs> other than that, overall, it's a really great episode and I enjoyed it. Thanks, guys.
2: All right. Yeah, let's uh, let's dive into the other elephant in the room that that feels anti-complimentary to him. But uh, <laughs> James T. Kirk, we finally get the real Kirk on Strange New Worlds other than just on Lon's data pad. And I, let me just get ahead of this. I know I've been resistant to get on the the new Kirk train. But as I said last time, I it felt like he was slowly starting to wear on me and I mean every time I I watch a new episode with him or rewatch the episode I do enjoy this Kirk a little more. I think this episode's the most quirky I felt he's been. I was more easily able to uh to yeah, just like kind of accept him as Kirk. Having said that, I do agree with Jesse uh, I was enjoying like maybe one Kirk episode a season, maybe most of them being alternate versions of Kirk was kind of a fun shtick. Uh, already we've gotten two. It looks like we'll probably get some more Kirk in an upcoming episode based on the trailer. So, uh, yeah, it, it does kind of feel like, isn't this supposed to be about this crew? Why are we talking about this guy? He's he's had We've got lots of episodes with this guy. Let's, let's let these other guys shine for a
11: bit.
3: I really like... Paul as an actor portraying Kirk, he's done a really good job. And especially in this episode, just the scene where her is immediately like, I don't want to be hit on right now. And he's like, (laughs) oh, no. And then like getting punched (laughs) out for it later. I thought that that those scenes were fantastic. It felt very Shatner Kirk. Um, Like he just did such a great job. But I agree. I don't want to see too much of him. I, I already I'm kind of glad that we get a lot of episodes that don't focus too much on like Spock, for example, because I feel like we get Mm -hmm. so much Spock. And yeah, he's a great character in this. Ethan Peck is a wonderful actor, but I want to see the other characters develop more because I don't need necessarily to see a ton more (laughs) rehashing Spock's backstory. Um, So yeah, I hope we don't see Kirk starting to take over because, you know, Pike is doing such a good job as a captain, and I feel like that's the story that's worth telling in this series.
2: Yeah, Uh, I mean, Pike's got a time limit on him, right? Let's (laughs) Let's not spend that with Kirk.
1: Well, and I think, you know, the uh, I don't know if this is accurate, but the air quote reason uh, that Kirk is here for this episode, Jim Kirk in particular, is because we needed a character who is not necessarily directly in Uhura's chain of command. Right. Because I think the reason that and I th- might have been Michelle who pointed this out, that the doctors weren't didn't feel like they were really listening to Uhura was because they kept telling her like it's definitely thing x or it's definitely thing y either way what you need to do is go rest and this is a great beginning of the plot that you will see in next week's episode which has already dropped that uhura just has trouble relaxing right like even under doctor's orders she's not gonna relax so i feel like there was almost like a Bones McCoy dynamic between her, Chapel, and Mbenga in this episode, where they're like, Look, you're not following doctor's orders. That's why you feel terrible. Like, I, that's my job is to make you feel better. And if you're not going to listen to me, what am I supposed to do about it? And Kirk even mentions that, you know, like, Hey, not only are you having these visions, but you've just struck a superior officer. So <laughs> if we were to go to sickbay right now, that's going to create this whole list of things that need to be done according to protocol, and that's going to cost us time that we could be using to try and figure this out. Mm-hmm. I don't know that another character from this cast would work in that role. La'an wouldn't work in that role because she's two by the book, and she's already kind of looking at Uhura sideways for part of this episode.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, tragically, we don't have Hemmer here, so he can only be in YouTube videos.
2: Pelia's busy. Right. (laughs) Pelia's
1: down on the station. I could see them introducing a new character, though.
2: I kind of picked up on that, too. Okay. You need, like, the kind of the renegade, the rebellious one to be like, all right, let's not listen to them. Let's listen to your heart. You need that person, right? The look inside for the answer character. Uh, I I think there is someone on the ship, and I think his name is Kirk. And I think his name is Sam Kirk, and th- Sam Kirk could have been this position. You know that I've been mentorshipping those two ever since <laughs> their time on the Comet, and I thought they could have brought that back. And instead, they turned Sam Kirk into a petulant little whiny boy. Uh, I don't know. I didn't. I don't know if the rivalry between him between the Kirks was forced, or if that that was just my own personal. I'm on Team Sam.
1: I actually really liked their dynamic, especially at the bar, because Sam wants validation from his brother, right? But he's not going to just straight up ask for it. He's like, you should be realizing that you need to congratulate me or apologize to me or like, you know, at least pay attention to me and great parallel where... He says, okay, you go back to the stupid ship and I'll stay here on the flagship.
9: <laughs> Great nice. parallel
1: moment between that and the one with Una and Pelia. right? She's going, okay, fine. Stay in engineering. I way outrank you. It's like, we don't always see, especially with established characters like Jim Kirk, we don't always see what other people privately truly feel about them, right? I mean, mm-hmm. unless it's, unless it's Spock. But- i really liked this little insight because you do wonder like i mean i guess we kind of know where sam is headed dun dun Mm. um so to to see you know some some family pressure on them was great and okay they mentioned the uss kelvin that's the first time that's happened in the prime timeline and we get to hear about their dad right like Mm -hmm. so we know their dad didn't die on the uss kelvin in this
2: timeline Uh, yeah what, what do you feel about sam kirk
3: I really like him as a character, and I felt like the dynamic between him and Jim felt very natural in the bar scene. Okay. Like a little bit of sibling rivalry, and like you know, just well, Dad expected more of you, and that kind of thing. Um, and it also felt very realistic from just a you know kind of know, life experience standpoint. Of I, I've had a similar experiences in my own career of like that specific line of what does my ambition have to do with you? Cause like sometimes if you're very successful, other people will take that as a, a threat to them or like you're actively trying to make them look bad when it's like, no, I, I wasn't even thinking about you. I just want to do the cool things. And like, <laughs> you can also do cool things in the stuff that you're doing. And so uh, that seemed like really resonated with me.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think it just, I think it happened a little quick as all. I would have like maybe a little more time with them.
10: Mm, I, don't I know. can see
2: that. Seeing the brotherly love and then the rivalry, but you know, yeah, uh, I these episodes are getting longer and longer,
1: which I am not complaining about, honestly. Like, I know in season one, a big common complaint, even with our audience, was like, "I want more episodes, right? Why can't we have twelve or fifteen episodes a season?" And I would assume there's some kind of contractual thing that's preventing that, but getting. A lot of episodes that are close to or over 60 minutes in season two has been very welcome to me. And I think it really does allow for those moments, like the ones we get between the
11: Kirk brothers.
1: And like when they go back to Sam's lab, I love that. His space is Mm -hmm. so geeky and Mm -hmm. he's just he's in his element there. And man, there's something about the way Dan Janot smiles with a mustache that makes you believe in him.
2: (laughs) I also I love the way Kirk appears in this episode because they don't really announce it at all except the Farragut name drop at the beginning. And if you're not paying attention or not steeped in TOS uh, knowledge, then you might not know that when we suddenly see someone appearing on the transporter, it's James T. Kirk for the first time on the Enterprise.
3: I kind of like that this version of Kirk just kind of looks... Like a normal person, like they didn't try to find somebody that looks like an Adonis. Like they, I think that was kind of what they were going for in the like the movies. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just for some reason I really liked that.
11: I think he
1: looks believably related to Sam Kirk too.
3: Like, yeah, they definitely mm -hmm. look like they could be brothers. (laughs) And,
1: but not identical to right, the mustache. We don't need one of them in a fake mustache, because one of them can grow one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, it is Kirk's first time on the Enterprise, and I do, I feel a little bad for him. Again, maybe I'm relating, I'm, I'm getting more into this Kirk, I'm relating with him. When just like, no one wants to sit and have a drink with him. His first day on the Enterprise, a ship that will soon mean more to him than any Starfleet regulation, uh, and he can't even find a friend. And then when he does find one, he gets punched out.
1: That uh, ties into sort of the banality of everyday life that this episode uses masterfully. Like the the first meeting between Kirk and Spock and Uhura, it's not played up as like, you know, you don't see a long walk down the hall and like one of them becomes super smitten or something. It's just, it's a regular everyday meeting. Sometimes you meet people at lunch, right? Like, and they just sit down and have a talk. Like they know when to play it down too.
2: My last note on Kirk, though, is I like that, at least within Strange New Worlds, I'll be interested to know if there's more examples of this. Uh, no matter the timeline, Kirk likes to bond with women over food, whether <laughs> it's hot dogs or cookies.
1: Yep. Or eating whatever his yeoman just brought onto the bridge in the middle of a plot. Like, <laughs> it, it definitely fits. And okay. did you notice the moment where when everybody leaves him alone at the bar, he just turns to profile and goes, all right, make a Kirk face. <laughs> Let's go ahead and hear from a returning guest whose name I have been struggling not to memify. I finally took the jump on Twitter this week and he was very gracious. Let's hear from Newman.
12: Hi, open Pike Night. It's Newman from the Movies for Days podcast. That's right, Newman. Newman. This is an episode of speeches. So many speeches. You get a speech, and you get a speech, and you get a speech. Everyone gets a speech. We've got Pike's speech, La'an's speech, Kirk's speech, Uhura's speech. Pelia gets a speech. The most teared up I got was when Laon spoke to Kirk about his history with his dad, how he always felt like, why is my dad helping strangers and never caring about me, and Her response about how understandable that is, but speaking as one of those strangers that Starfleet helped, it really is worth it. Two big things I loved in this that were just so damn Star Trek. We're mining for an energy resource. We discover a new life form and we decide to just say, fuck it, I don't care how much damage this does to us. We're going to repair the damage we can. We're going to GTFO. It's like an environmentalist message that is just so damn Star Trek. Also, second big thing, Pike trusts his people so much that he blows up an entire interstellar deuterium refinery installation on the word of a communications ensign and a lieutenant from another ship he barely knows. What is the underlying message here? Possibly is it believe women when they communicate their experience or pain, even if you don't necessarily understand completely? Newman out! Great call, Newman. Wow.
2: Yes, a lot there. Good stuff. Uh, Yeah, we can cover a few of those things. I want to start with the Kirk and Laon scene, though, because I agree. I thought that was a really good scene. I did think it was interesting that they brought Kirk on and it wasn't a Kirk Laon episode. In fact, she's barely in it. And that may have bugged me, except I thought this scene worked so well. It was really all you needed between them right now.
3: I really like that scene, too. Uh, It gives you a nice perspective on Uh, kind of the insiders versus the outsiders I guess and seeing like yeah this must have been really hard for you as a child growing up with an absent father but look at me I'm a good example of the, the good that your father was out there doing in the universe and kind of trying to capture how that looks from both sides I think was really powerful.
2: Yeah, in a lot of ways it's kind of the meat cute I was missing from episode 3. Like I mean again, I liked episode 3, but I I did feel like them falling for each other was just a little uh, they're the main characters. They're going to fall for each other. They're both really attractive, <laughs> but here like that connection they make felt really real and genuine.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and I feel like you can read in Christina Chong's performance all on top of, you know, the the gravity of this moment between them you can see her entire thought process of like, I can't tell him what I want to tell him. And I don't want to make this connection too solid right now for a lot of reasons. Cause you know, when he does say, Hey, by the way, you still owe me a drink. She turns back (laughs) and smiles, but she does not say anything and she Mm -hmm. just continues on her way. And I didn't expect at the beginning of season two that, La'an would become one of my favorite characters or that I would be emotionally invested in what she's going through because you know like a lot of us I think after season one I'm just expecting her to be a badass and to be related to Khan and this does bring up a question right like who do we think is going to get memory wiped is it going to be both of them Um, (laughs) is La'an going to not make it through strange new worlds like This is a fairly this is one of those moments that a specific kind of fan is going to go, oh, well, now they know each other. So, like, what about the Wrath of Khan or what about Space Seed? Why doesn't Kirk recognize this name? You know, and I'm definitely of the like, hey, it's science fiction. Don't worry about it. Relax. Uh, Crowd. (laughs) But it
2: is a legitimate question. I don't recognize the last name of every single person I met seven years ago.
3: And so sometimes people Kirk, have the same last name. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hey. And, and Kirk is like, wow, I can't believe I missed that. That's a good joke.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's my joke for the show. I'm, I, it was yeah, nice talking got, to you.
2: <laughs> I've been loving hearing Dr. Harrison this whole episode. It's really great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the dynamic between those two characters. Initially, I was like, oh, they did this because it's not going to matter. Right. Like in Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. It was a perfect conceit to have them have meaningful interaction, but it doesn't stick, right? So I'm actually really glad to see that they're pushing against canon when they need to, and we know these showrunners will do that. Now, I think this is a good time to hear from a new caller this week. We love hearing from new callers, and I think you're probably going to recognize this person if you spend any time on Trek Twitter.
11: I knew it was the Nacelles all along. Just look at them all named back sucking the
1: energy out of life, is Dutiria Macabre. That was the Scorch, who, as you may know, is a hull plate on uh, the front of the Enterprise, the oldest surviving piece of the original construction. Thank you for calling in, Scorch. I love the voice synth. I assume you had help from Uhura with that. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes we've had uh pike's hair and now the scorch call on some real stars uh, calling into the open pike night stage i do love that we get to see the inside of the nacelles this episode sorry scorch but that that was a pretty cool set to be on
1: well and it had like like that subtle shape covering that we're used to on the back of the nacelle right and you could see it way way off in the background but it, I mean, this isn't the first time we've been to a nacelle in Star Trek, but it is the first time we have been into these nacelles. and this was our our uh, location for the Pelia Uhura moment, as well as this moment where Kirk shows up and is an absolute hero, right? The scene where he shows up points the gun at uh, I forget the lieutenant's name, Ramon. Points the gun at Lieutenant Ramon, puts his arm around Uhura, they transport out of there, and then we just get blown out an airlock right along with the lieutenant. Like that scene was high intensity, and I feel like it matched that intensity of Uhura being in a turbo lift with a zombie. Like, but it just had a little bit larger scale. I love that scene. I actually really liked Lieutenant Ramon here, I think he did a great mm-hmm. job.
3: Yeah, I was kind of bummed that he didn't end up surviving. And I guess they did keep the horror theme with Don just showing him blowing off into space but then actually having the close up which seems like a pretty realistic depiction of what would happen if you got spaced unfortunately, but <laughs> uh yeah, poor poor Ramon.
6: <laughs> yeah,
2: and the the other unnamed crew member on uh Pike's Enterprise who gets killed too. That's oh, yeah. a pretty slasher movie type uh moment there and you see the horror or, or the um I don't know. You see it on Pike's face that he does not like losing crew members at all. Uh, we only lose two this episode, but it, it affects him.
1: Did you see the look on his face when Ramon slashed Mbenga with that scalpel? Like, genuine, like, terrified mm-hmm. worry, right? Like, this isn't how I think was I think the worry act. for
2: Ramon is like, Ramon, watch out. He's got some <laughs> juice that he's going to drink, and you're going to regret doing that.
1: If he drinks his Hulk juice, you're going to have a bad day. He's not That's the right. same doctor after that. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you for calling in Scorch. Uh, next up, we have a a long time listener and caller, Abby
6: Hey, hey, open Pike. It's Abby Summer from the first Flight podcast. Okay, I can't even touch the hammer of it all in this episode or I'm going to cry. so I'm going to leave that to your other callers and talk about some of the minutiae. I guess I'll hit on some of the big points first. I totally resonated with Uhura in this one with the fact that she doesn't sleep well. I also don't sleep well, especially when there's stuff to do, so it's nice to see that represented in someone who's still high-functioning but needs that reminder to sleep. And I have a difficult sibling, so I felt for both of the Kirk brothers in this one as they try to find common ground and just fall back into old patterns. I also noticed that both Ortega's and Uhura, when they're feeling vulnerable in their quarters, sit on the floor and lean back against their beds as opposed to sit in the furniture that they have. And now that Neota has such big quarters, you'd think she'd use them, but that's just me. And the real thing that made me happy in this episode that just pulled my heart were all the costumes. Oh, my God, they were in the bar so much. Have you, we noticed the bartender uniforms yet? I think they're going to become as iconic as the TNG ones. And the jazz band all had cool outfits. And then there's this one guy just standing there as they pan across in a red turtleneck and black cargo pants. So I guess he's the minimalist of the group. But between that and all the food, I need to go get a cookie. So hope you and yours are well.
2: He's definitely off
1: duty in that scene. <laughs> Oh, two do you seconds. think Kirk
2: takes his cookies with ketchup and mustard or plain? <laughs> oh, he definitely
1: takes them plain because, I mean, he takes everything plain, right? Apparently. Um, I, I think we need to get a call from Abby's sibling. Do you, do you know that you've been called out on a podcast about Star Trek? <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, well, real quick, I mean, you kind of brought this up earlier, Jesse, but I do love that Strange New Worlds really is able to keep that competency porn from 90s Trek while still making the relatable characters. And I mean, that's a delicate kind of line to walk and they do it really well. Uh, but costumes, Abby's absolutely right. Every episode, I'm just amazed by the costumes. I have not noticed the bartenders. I'll be looking out for that from now on. My favorite costuming moment in this
1: episode is Pike's fleet commander badge. Like, it looks so simple when you first see it. You're like, oh, there's a black circle around his regular badge. But then as you catch it in different angles of light, different details get revealed. There's definitely an engraved uh, pair of laurels sweeping around his delta. Mm. And you don't see them in every scene because the the way that they're engraved. They're in, uh, let's see, they're bezeled instead of embossed. And having just a subtle subtle little thing like that it really for me helps the lived-in nature of this show because there is an argument to be made that this enterprise is so clean and shiny that it kind of looks like nobody works there but i think having those true-to-life costume elements where things would be subtle like that and they are just kind of wearing shirts in space right like i think that adds to the believable lived-in nature of this show i gotta ask dr harrison do you have any Star Trek Com badges? And if you do, or even if you don't, which is your favorite?
3: Uh, I have two. One is uh, a TNG era com badge, but it's made of um, like acrylic. So it's multicolored, mm-hmm. uh, like pinks and purples and stuff like that. And then I have one that is kind of a play on the um, Yesterday's Enterprise oh. badge, but mm-hmm. it's got a rainbow on the back of it.
1: Very cool. I'm, I gotta say, like, we, when, when we went to uh, Portland Fan Expo, the range of com badges available kind of overwhelmed me. I was like, I'm just, just give me the Strange New Worlds one because I want all of them.
3: <laughs> yeah. The design elements in the show are, are all so beautiful. I think when, uh, when Abby pointed out the, the jazz musicians the first thing that I thought for some reason as we're doing the panning shot behind the jazz musicians is wow jazz is really enduring through the 23rd and 24th centuries yeah. like what is it about jazz music because we've seen it in every series I think now since TNG at least
2: yeah, I and mean, it's a 20th century standard they're playing too, right? I, f- I forget which song it is exactly, but I mean, it's it's a song we know.
3: Yeah, it sounded
1: familiar. It
2: survived the thermonuclear war,
1: and nobody calls it ancient jazz. Thankfully, like, <laughs> I'm just so glad about that because they're talking about like in TNG they would say, "Oh, this is an ancient Earth thing," and it's like even in your time frame, that's from like 400 years ago. I I wouldn't call that ancient. I'm thinking like <laughs> a thousand years at least for something to be ancient.
3: Yeah. Oh all, all that ancient Beethoven music for us back yeah. in the day. Like, <laughs> all
2: right. Well a couple of hundreds that's that's old, right? Like the old West. That's two hundred years ago. Right. Yeah. But they say the ancient West
1: in the episode where Wharf goes to the holodeck. <laughs> well, Let's not you talk tack about Back on a few that.
2: hundred years, you you grow <laughs> you grow ancient.
1: <laughs> I gotta say though, Abby, I appreciate the consistency with which you notice the details that we miss. Like i we watched these episodes you know before they were aired, and then I at least personally continued to rewatch them pretty much every week until they air again, and then I watch them on Paramount Plus so that I can be part of the discourse online. But there is so much that you keep picking out that I'm just not seeing. I will say very happy to see Uhura's Starfleet issue do rag back. I really, really want one of those like. It looks like one of the most comfortable pieces of clothing I've ever seen in my
2: life, honestly. All right. Shall we hear from Zoe now?
9: Open Pike Night. This is Captain Zoe Richardson of the USS Cinema Commanding, also host of Backlick Cinema, the podcast. Thank you for the promotion. I'll try not to get demoted again. (laughs) Anyway, my thoughts on the most recent episode of Strange New World Lost in Translation. See, i having mixed feelings about this episode. I actually really love the character development and the interpersonal stories that took place throughout the episode, but there are a lot of kind of technical plot points that I had a problem with. There were A lot of things that went on that just didn't rub me the right way. There are a lot of stuff that I, I kind of disagreed with, and this is a story that we've seen in Star Trek before, and there were certain things that I just felt weren't handled right. Uh, one, One of the key things that I didn't like is when you have people pointing a phaser at somebody and they say, stop or I'll shoot. And in my head, I'm just screaming. Well, just put the phaser on stun and shoot him. What, what are you yeah. having all of this emotional conflict for? You you have a stun gun. Shoot him with the stun gun. Standard operating procedure. There are a lot of other things out, but that's just one example. <laughs> one of the things that I bumped up against. It was just an okay episode. That's all I have. Richardson out.
2: All right. Yeah. The. The plot, the story, what, what did we feel about it? We've heard a, a few things from people. I felt after among the Lotus Eaters feeling very TOS to me, this felt like a very TNG episode, I mm. thought, uh, yeah. in a lot of good ways.
3: Yeah, very similar to the um, the terraforming episode with the the mm. native aliens that were there. Ugly on bags
2: of mostly water.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the iconic episode. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I am
1: interested to hear Zoe say that because I, I mean, for me, anytime that I, I see a a Trek plot we've seen before, I just, I get warm fuzzies, but I guess it is valid to kind of want an entirely new story told, right? Like, I mean, obviously all perspectives when watching fiction are valid, but I hadn't even considered like, oh great, another Trek plot. I guess, I guess that could
2: (laughs) definitely bump for some people. I did. I think it was interesting that we had two episodes in a row with interdimensional aliens not really understanding how to communicate with us and accidentally causing damage to us. But they felt different enough tonally that I, I was fine with it. Like I had to think about it and go, oh, yeah, those were similar, but I was fine with it.
3: The main thing with this episode was that I feel like the plot was just a vehicle for the personal character development and their yeah. stories and not really about the um like new and point out kind of the environmental story or even you know you her has a really good line near the end that's kind of like an anti-colonial statement of like why are we exploring if we're just going to go and kill the things that are there when we get there and i really liked that line too um but it's mm-hmm. kind of it's almost a throwaway of like oh yeah we should tie up that part of the story but it's not really like the point of the episode
2: right which feels very tng again
1: yeah and and that's a good point because i i sort of expected them to Maybe mention like, okay, well, we can also get by on dilithium, so like let's maybe you know not mess with deuterium now, but there they did sort of kind of drop that environmental aspect to it, which is a little surprising, considering, but I think you're totally right, Tanya, that it was it's meant to be a vehicle for the character development, and that might be why they specifically had her appeal to the um uh, the good side of Pike's humanity, right? Like, we are hurting and killing people. Like, environmental stuff aside, we're hurting and killing people. And I think that actually played into Pike's willingness to accept her on her word, as was mentioned in an earlier call, because he's like, okay, I can't argue with that. Like, you're, you're totally right. If we're out here to explore, we cannot be destroying. Now, I'm sure there's an argument to be made that... Anytime you study something, you affect it, right? Like, that's a pretty common thing in science. You can't measure it without changing it. So I'm interested that Star Trek is starting to explore something that fans have talked about a long time, which is, is Starfleet too colonial? Like, that was a great self-indictment moment, and I'm interested to know if they're going to go any further with that.
3: Yeah, it's definitely a very timely
4: conversation.
2: Yeah. I mean, I feel like they dealt with a lot with it in uh, the second episode with Una's Trial, too. Oh, And again, I think sure. Strange New Worlds does a good job of addressing it without, but still kind of being able to lift up Starfleet and its ideals. And like, we, we strive for the ideals. We don't always hit it, but that's why a deal is there for us to to move towards. It's kind of funny. Jesse and John were worried I was going to hate this episode <laughs> because uh, I I did write a spec script for Strange New Worlds just as a writing exercise and to have it on hand if anyone ever asked me. Uh, that <laughs> dealt with the Hera's grief and her dealing with the death of her parents, and uh, so uh they they were concerned but no i still i i thought it was all done really well here and uh yeah technically my script could still happen that would definitely tread some of the same same area there there's almost a word for word line but that just tells me i was on the right path
1: (laughs) i was gonna say if any of the writers producers or directors for strange new worlds happen to be listening to this episode cameron knows how to collaborate you're (laughs) welcome
2: Uh, I did also just throw out real quick. I love the uh, the sound effect of the aliens in her in your ears. I thought that was done really well. Um, apparently, not as jarring to some people as the tinnitus sound effect from Among the Lotus okay. Eaters. Yeah, I <laughs> were you one of them? Didn't like that.
3: It's enough for a little bit of an eye twitch for sure.
2: Oh, I like this version of it. It sounds because it sounds
1: like talking, right? But like filtered through like a hundred layers of of stuff. Mm-hmm but there was like a, you could almost hear like syllables in it. And it was less of that drone, right? Less of that just killer, killer pinging going on in your ears. And I think that the sound itself was properly scary. Like it it Mm -hmm. was scary enough to where if I were experiencing it, I might not tell everybody around me, right? Or I might like be truly worried about my health because I'm like, that is really wacky, especially as somebody who sits on the bridge and listens to weird sounds all day. I think yeah. Celia really managed to internalize that part of the performance. And man, the whole cast, the whole cast is so good in this show. I know I say that all yeah. the time, but I'm, I'm going to stay in character and say it again.
2: I will say maybe the one plot thing that I bumped on the most was her was really good at analyzing her visions at uh, that moment where she like translates everything to like, well, this must mean this and that must mean that. I was like, Wow. Okay. Nail on head. Good job, Ahura.
1: But she had just gotten through telling Spock logic would dictate that often the most simple answer is the correct one. Is it not?
2: I love how people try to get Spock on their side by just name dropping <laughs> logic. Just and then he has to like Spock explain to them like, actually, logic would dictate this. But yeah, I mean, this happened a few times. The series were like, well, wait, Spock, logic, 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 right? You're with me. <laughs> And it's 50-50. Sometimes he goes, yeah, yes, logic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let's go ahead and hear from our next caller, who is a returning caller to the stage, our friend Jen.
5: Hi, OpenPike. This is Jen. These are my thoughts for the latest episode. I loved it. Um, It was cool to see Hemmer again, especially the training video. It was really kind of sweet. Although seeing zombie Hemmer was pretty cool, too. One thing that I noticed with Yehura is that she wears the same green earrings that TOS Yehura wears too, only I think hers are bigger in TOS. Um, I know I've said I don't really care for having Kirk in these episodes, but he's kind of starting to grow on me, but I did like all the relationships that were touched on in the episode. Like Everybody kind of got a little bit, but it wasn't too clumsy or overwhelming. It was It was pretty well done. Especially how subtle they were with the first meeting of uh, Kirk and Spock. So that was pretty cool.
2: All right. Well, yeah, I think uh, we're we're nearing the end. So let's talk about that final scene, the meeting of Kirk, Spock, and her. I mean, I guess Kirk and Aher had already met. But yeah, them sitting at the table together.
3: I see it was a good happy vibes moment. And I think it was you, Jesse, that said before maybe that it didn't feel overhyped. It was like just chilling together at a table. Uh I could easily see that turning into some, you know, let's follow them down the hallway. Like we're playing a theme song in the background, like building up to this big thing. And like, I don't know, for some, for some inexplicable reason, they're like hugging each other and patting each other on the back, even though they, they hadn't met before. So it feels kind of weird, but also like, like a big bonding moment. Um, Yeah. They just kept it simple. And I think that worked really well.
2: I wasn't completely sold at first, but I think the second view, I, I enjoyed it a lot more. I do like the simplicity of it. I, there's, I think I might have enjoyed it a bit more in a different episode. This is a very heavy episode about grief. And then for them to be there at the end, it was a little tonally jarring, maybe. Maybe that's what I'm bumping on. I'm not sure. or Or maybe the idea is that this is an episode about grief and letting go of the past and looking to the future. And so they're just setting us up for when Strange New Worlds ends.
1: I would say it's more they're setting us up to remember, you know, even though Uhura is experiencing this grief and this pain, she has done it for a reason. And the reason is so she can move forward. And then I think the choice of having them all at the table and this might be like the longest away from a group of characters i've ever seen that doesn't then immediately zoom out to like planet and then galaxy level right like (laughs) it it really is almost a a cheers scene right like they're just at the bar and we're just watching them enjoy each other's company we don't even need to hear what they're saying i gotta say that i'm really excited that the showrunners didn't think okay here's a moment for us to subvert expectations the first time Spock and Kirk meet, let's have Spock punch Kirk out, right? Like there was no mm-hmm. big surprising, like, oh, that's what happened the first time. It was just, yeah, they they met each other because they were introduced. Like that's how people meet each other. And- Because Sam
2: doesn't clean up his glasses. I was going
1: to say, I can't believe we got this far into this without talking about how much I love, how much Spock doesn't appreciate Sam Kirk and his messy nature. <laughs> Like, what a great thing for him to bond with Sam's brother over, right? Like, to me, that felt realistic. Like, I I also have a sibling. I don't know that they're as difficult, maybe, as the sibling we heard about in the prior couple calls. But there is something so true about when you meet the people in your sibling's lives that are mostly in their lives and not really in yours— you find these little things to connect over, right? Like, oh, yeah, he can be stubborn. And in this case, oh, yeah, he's a little too whimsical with his crumbs. And the first thing we see Spock do is pick up his drink. Like, come on, man, you got to use a coaster.
2: <laughs> An episode of Open Pike Night would not be complete without a call from Platinum 3
11: Hey, Open Pike Night. This is Platy M3 with my hits, shits, and misses. Hits this week. Totally love seeing Hammer again. You know, not when he was a zombie exactly, but love seeing Pelia getting the job done, knowing what she needed to do, not just following what was told to her what to do. Um, that was awesome. Kirk and Ahura, all those scenes together, great things. Good job, everybody. Now, my shits, basically the entire crew of the Enterprise, other than Uhura, Kirk, and Spock, apparently, because, you know, I hope their little three discussion at the end of the episode was not just talking trash about Sam, but them discussing what dolts of students all their coworkers were. I mean, Una's pulling C's, Hammer's just an average dude, but Kirk, he, you know, he was a stack of books with legs, Uhura is a quote-unquote prodigy, and Spock's freaking Spock. The rest, meh, they're all average little shits. Alright, misses. I miss seeing any of the Farragut whatsoever. And I think Starfleet might just miss a lot of the reasoning (laughs) behind the blowing up of that collector. Um, My Ensign's hallucinations told me to. Doesn't quite seem like it's going to fly too well with the Tap Brass. Alright, there was not a Strange New World today, but uh, last week we'll give a uh, Yellow and Blue's domain that. So, Strange New World's count is up to four, and as much as I enjoyed seeing Hammer again, and Real Kirk, it was no plugging a kid into a computer. So, Season 1, Episode 6 gets my nod.
2: Alright, uh, that was platinum 3 with the shits, hits, and misses. I think I misordered those.
1: I gotta ask what you guys feel about the the Farragut problem, right? Like, I will point out, we actually do see the Farragut in this episode, Platy. It's just very small and it's very quick as it's leaving the station after Pike orders the evacuation. But Cameron, you had mentioned the Farragut earlier as, you know, if you're not a big Star Trek fan or if you're not steeped in the lore, that word may not mean anything to you, but I feel that they've used it like in, in place of the name Kirk in a few spots. So how are you feeling about I guess just overall Kirk and the Farragut's proximity to our crew. Let's start with you, Cameron.
2: Uh, I mean, I, I feel that's the same uh, question as Kirk's proximity to Strange New Worlds. Like, it, it's maybe around a bit too much. I don't know. I would have liked to see the in, inside of the Farragut. It's always fun to see new ships. So I agree with that.
3: I just hadn't come to mind until just now. But when you were pointing out back in the Menagerie, when Kirk says he only met Pike once when he was a fleet commander from that, would we not expect to see very much interaction or like Kirk and the Farragut in the Enterprise space? Like, why are we seeing him so much now? Would we have expected Kirk to even meet any of these people that eventually become his crewmates before they end up on his ship? I mean, Starfleet's a big place. You've got a ton of ships. There's not necessarily any reason that these people would have interacted before.
1: I think it goes to the argument that sometimes the Star Trek universe does feel a little small, right? Like, Um, We've had this conversation with um, others about Captain Battelle. Why is Captain Battelle a captain and a lawyer? And why does she have to be on this mission where the Enterprise is, right? Like, obviously, there are some storytelling conceits going on. But I totally, I think I totally understand why the showrunners do this. Because in TNG, we we get a lot of, you know we're rendezvousing with the USS Denver or we're rendezvousing with you know whatever ship it is and the, the captain of that ship by this name is coming over for a consultation. And while some part of my Trekkie heart loves that because I'm like, yeah, show me all the ships, show me all the captains, it does make it a little harder to get attached to those characters. And I think in this show, having the serialized character arcs within the episodic episodes, that sounds dumb, um i think it actually really helps to give those characters some gravitas and it kind of makes the familial feeling of this crew just a little wider for me right and i guess we do have some characters that are literal family members (laughs) um (laughs) but i i i like that there is a warm familiarity like every time we see april i'm happy every time we see batel i'm happy Mm -hmm. Every time we've seen Kirk up to now, hasn't technically counted, air quotes. So I'm happy with this appearance, too. Do you guys feel like sometimes Star Trek feels too small?
2: I I mean, I think you nailed it when you said it's it's writers conceits. And I know I've said it on, on this show and my others before, too, that those writers conceits because of them means that there is fate in the Star Trek universe. So I can accept that. The, the strings of fate pull these characters together and they may bump into each other time and again before they finally come together on the ship that is meant to save the universe multiple times. Uh, yeah, it's it's a show. I, I, I can run with that. But, uh, I mean, Dr. Tanya does point out that it does kind of imply this is the last time Kirk and Pike will meet. That they won't meet again after this if if we're going to stick with that continuity line so maybe the times he shows up again will be alternate versions of him or at least he doesn't run into pike on the ship which would seem weird you would visit a another captain's ship and not say hi as a captain yourself (laughs) so so yeah i wonder what they are what their plans with old james t are going forward i have a question directly for you dr harrison
1: because platty brings up that some of these people didn't get good grades in school. <laughs> which is a fair thing to bring up, Platy. But you know what they call the doctor with the lowest like grade point average at the end of medical school?
2: Doctor. So like
1: <laughs> I, I, I gotta ask, in, in high level professional science, doctor, uh, do you have you met people that failed courses or got C's in courses, but are still incredibly competent,
2: hardworking individuals?
3: I mean i was one of them <laughs> <laughs> I, to I thought you were GPAs. gonna straight up ask
2: her what she got
3: terrible i was so bad at calculus like i i was a physics under like an astrophysics undergrad and like early physics classes were so bad calculus like i don't know this is why i was not an engineer my brain could get the concept <laughs> but then sitting down and doing the math problems like they wouldn't compute um and I turned out just fine. They still let me work for NASA. So <laughs> uh, I think it's, uh, you learn very quickly that the great, I mean, and you hear this all the time, like said aloud, but it is true. Like the people that get really good grades aren't necessarily the people that translate those skills into the real world. So if you're really good at doing homework, you might not necessarily be good at doing something more abstract. Um and we actually we've seen that a lot in like college students like when i used to work at a university it's kind of gotten into this space where we had a lot of students that didn't really grasp the idea of questions that didn't already have answers um mm-hmm. i don't know if it's cuz we live in an information age where everybody expects that you can just go and google and find the answer to something but you know when you're doing like graduate school for example you're you're researching a question that theoretically has not been answered yet and so that can be kind of hard for some people to grasp the concept of. Um, and yes, the, if, especially if you're the kind of person where you're like, I did the thing, just tell me if it's right or wrong. And it's like sometimes <laughs> you don't know if you're right or wrong.
1: When Captain Pike first shows up on Discovery, what's one of the first things he does? He pulls up his academic record and he shows people look, right there, there's a class that I failed. I'm not perfect. I may look perfect, I may sound perfect, I may act perfect but I'm not perfect. I'm just a person who's trying to learn and do the best that
2: they can. That they will one day make a holiday out of. (laughs) (laughs) What will that be? We'll discuss that next episode. Well, any last uh, thoughts on this episode though, before we start to wrap things up, anything we hadn't got to Dr. Harrison?
3: Well, I guess one small note I had was um, I liked this episode kind of touched on a theme we've seen in Star Trek before of how can we recognize signs of life if it's something that is indeed completely alien? It's not creature of the week with bumps pasted onto their <laughs> foreheads. And I think that that's something that's so timely in kind of the search for alien life right now in the universe. If we we don't even fully recognize and or or communicate with other species on our own planet. So how are we going to do that when we find, hopefully, when we find aliens from another planet where we don't even have any kind of common context with which to communicate. And so I think that's something where Star Trek takes a lot of liberty, which you have to it's a story. If you just met aliens everywhere and you could communicate with them that would not be very exciting. But I think it's something for us to think about, like what what does it actually mean to communicate with something that is completely alien with no common frame of reference to your own existence.
1: Well, and going back to what you were saying about Sam Kirk and his job, even as a layman, I have you know, read articles before that are like uh we we think we found faces uh we think we found traces of phosphine gas, and that always means life, and it's immediately couched in well, on earth that almost always means life, right like even the lens that we have to look for life in other places is very anthropocentric right there is mm-hmm. it's like, well, what do we think of as life? Well, we think carbon and we think these gases and we think these building blocks, but it really i like that we didn't see the aliens in this at all right there was no yeah. like weird form in space <laughs> there was no like you know transparent tentacle or something like stuck to ahura's head <laughs> it's it's purely was conceptual and i think that adds layers of gravity to pike just trusting ahura and trusting his crew right because mm-hmm. He, I will point out that as soon as Uhura says, blow that thing up, the first thing Pike does is look to Kirk. Like, okay, is she in the right state of mind? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Give me something. And, and Kirk just gives him a nod and he, he goes from there. But I think that's a really, really good point. I hadn't even considered that until you brought it up.
2: Well, that goes to my last note, uh, which is we do kind of see the aliens in this because they are attached to the deuterium. And the first shot of the episode is a deuterium cloud with the Enterprise just like blowing through it and a really cool shot. And you're like, "Ooh, look at the way the smoke <sighs> roils over glitters. the Enterprise. But then suddenly you're like, oh, wait, no, that's that's the answer to the episode's mystery right there. in the first shot we see it just kind of parting way as Enterprise comes through. And uh, I, I like that kind of visual foreshadowing
1: good good visual metaphor like wherever we explore there is a wake of destruction behind us even if that wasn't our intent or we weren't aware of it Mm. like man Mm. damn it cameron you're really good at watching tv that was powerful
2: (laughs) (laughs) not good grades but i can watch a tv show (laughs) yeah
1: i really like that all right now we do have one more very special guest to play oh
2: do we have Do I have an audio signal coming in? Is that what that
1: sound is? I assumed I was just losing it and about to kill everyone on the crew, but let's hear from our next caller.
0: Hey, Dr. Harrison. Hope you've had a good recording with Cam and Jesse. Sorry I couldn't be there. Life is uh, just getting a little in the way, but I hope you guys had a great discussion of this fantastic episode. I uh, really appreciated that everybody on the crew... Got some good moments in this episode, from Mbenga's little uh, medical discoveries and counseling to Uhura, to Una and Pelia having that wonderful conversation, which I wasn't sure about at first, but it's grown on me since I've seen it again. Uh, Even Ortega's got her little, are you sure, at the end with Uhura, and I'm glad they had her be the one to ask that, because she definitely seems like the biggest skeptic on the crew, and overall, I really enjoy this episode. Bruce Horak, it was great to see him come back. I'm going to have to give my ranking as this this uh, episode is much better than season one, episode six. I think it might be my biggest spread so far. I love Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach, but the impact of this one, well, maybe a bit predictable from the beginning as far as the plot points. It just had a lot of good moments. Um, I know Cam might be on the fence about the Uhura-Spock-Kirk meeting, but I do think it was handled well and subtly. Have a good day.
2: All right, Jesse. Well, as John set us up for there, uh, we are now 60% of the way through season two, over halfway through. We have fewer episodes ahead of us than we did behind us. How would you rank this compared to Season 1's Episode 6, Lift Us, we Suffering, Cannot Reach?
1: You you really twist that knife a lot more than, than John does. He just puts the <laughs> knife in and leaves it there. Like, it's 60% over, and you're like, and here's some perspective on what that means, that's, which is a horror episode. Yeah, I, had I mean, and especially with the early release of Episode 7. Oh my God, go check out Episode 7. But uh, that's... I'm honestly a little surprised that there's such a wide gulf for John on this and it's mm-hmm. kind of throwing my rating like I don't know like I think I think initially I would say these were about equal because we get a a big cultural difference in both episodes a very big lack of understanding in both episodes great character development oh man the horror elements of this are much more prevalent than the horror elements of Lift Us, right? Because Lift Us, you can tell something is off the whole time, but you're not super sure what it is. And then, like, towards the end, you're like, I'm pretty sure I should be worried for this kid. But there's still something about the way that that story was told that feels a little bit less violent to me. And I, I don't mean to say that plugging a kid into a computer isn't violent, because obviously it is. but I think I like the way it was handled in this episode a little more because there was excessive violence. There was lots of death, but we didn't see all of it. Most of it was happening with the aliens, right? And we can't see the aliens. Yes, we did lose Ramon and yes, we lost another enterprise crew member, but it was, it just, maybe, maybe less intense was the word, but then I remember there was also zombie hammer. So, I think I'm going to agree with John that I like this better than Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach, but the gulf is not wide for me. I, I think they're very close to equal, especially with where they're placed among the other episodes. What about you, Cam?
2: Uh, I agree the gulf's not huge. I like both episodes quite a bit. Um... But I disagree on which one's better. I, I'm going to go Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. I really love that episode. I think that was a great episode of television and science fiction telling. Uh, but this was very good. I, it even made me start, you know, warming up on Kirk. But uh, I, I just kind of put this at like a really solid episode. And Lift Us did kind of surprise me at points and, and really stuck in my brain in a way that I don't think this one will.
1: Like a, like a cord that leads to a hovering city is how it stuck in your brain?
2: That's right. Yeah. Really relate with that uh, kid, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Doctor Tom innocent.
3: I, I see the two episodes very differently in terms of like this most recent episode. At least the one we reviewing. I guess the other one has has already dropped for episode seven. But for episode six, like I said before, it's about the characters and less about that core storyline. Whereas I felt like um season 1 episode 6 was very much about the story and like the social commentary mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. and especially that uh i believe the final scene is that conversation between pike and uh the woman whose name i'm blanking on right where she's yeah. like
2: uh, "Alora, alora
3: alora yeah. right um where she's like you know you can't have something like this without someone suffering it's going to happen and Again, that's a very timely conversation to be having right now in society. And it just felt very like old school Star Trek core sci-fi type storytelling. Um, and especially since that one didn't have a happy ending, whereas this this episode, um, season two, episode six, does, even though there's death in it, it kind of has a happy ending at the end of it. It
2: leaves you on a, yeah. Yeah. So did you pick? Which one was it? Which one are you choosing? What's your your oh, choice?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> uh, but I, I, that was a great breakdown of the two. That's, that's a very good point.
3: I, I think I'm going to have to say season one, episode six, just because like you said, Kim, I think that that story will stick with me more rather than the few scenes scattered throughout season two, episode six, where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. y'all remember the, the meeting of the iconic three at the end And I'll remember zombie, zombie hammer, but like the story itself is not going to hang in my memory the way that plugging kids into a computer is going to.
1: That's a good point. If I could go back and change it now, I might, but I'm not going to do that (laughs)
3: because
1: I already said my piece and I've said plenty this evening.
2: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming, Dr. Harrison. We'll have to get you on another episode that includes some planets at some point. Uh, but this is Open Pike Night is a open mic night stand up themed podcast. John, John, that just rolls off John's tongue so well. Did you uh, bring a joke for us?
3: I brought a very terrible joke that is very Mars specific.
2: <laughs> <laughs> My favorite.
3: Okay. Um, why haven't we heard from aliens on Mars yet?
2: Mm. Why haven't we heard from aliens on Mars yet?
3: Because they missed the opportunity
2: oh, oh. <laughs> that's that must be a joke near and dear to your heart
1: <laughs> i like science jokes that i feel i get on on the first blush <laughs> right. right like it's a good science joke because it makes other people feel smart wow thanks It and maybe right. a
3: little sad <laughs> if you if you like had yeah. your heart invested in oppie
1: oh oppie that wow yeah now i'm torn up <laughs> this joke isn't funny <laughs> at all <laughs> I really like that. Well, Dr. Tanya Harrison, thank you again so much for joining us. If the listeners out there would like to hear more about you and your career, how would you recommend they go about doing that?
3: Uh, You can find me most places online as at Tanya of Mars, Um, mostly on Twitter, but I'm posting more stuff on Instagram and YouTube lately. So definitely stay tuned there Um, or on my website, TanyaHarrison.com. You can find Links to all sorts of other videos and podcast interviews and things like that.
0: Perfect. Hey, Open Bike Night listeners, it's producer John here working on the edit. I hope you enjoyed their episode in conversation with Dr. Tanya Harrison. And now, here's a segment of our previous interview with Celia Rose Gooding. We had to cut out of the original because of, well, spoilers and getting fired and all that good stuff. This was recorded before the SAG After Strike began. Please enjoy the next few minutes talking about. Episode six with Celia Rose Gooding. As far as episode six goes, your performance is a powerhouse. Is ah, Thank
8: you. I thank you. I mean,
0: like, I, I am very much enjoying this season, but when I finally sat down and watched that screener, I was like, good God, this is an amazing episode of Star Trek. And <sighs> you, yeah, the, 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 the heavy lifting you did for that, um, for what could have been a, like, there's a lot of ways that could have been done wrong, but. You did it very, very right. So
8: thank you. That means so much. I'm not uh uh familiar with the horror genre as an actor. Uh uh I'm I'm not a huge horror movie watcher. I, I'm a very naturally anxious individual. So I don't like sitting <laughs> on my couch and then making it worse. Um uh and so yeah, it it as people who y'all who know trek and have a, a understanding of trek outside of mine it, it it it's good to know that it makes sense in the universe because that was the that was the only thing i walked away from that episode feeling unanswered of like does this make sense in the trek universe um uh and if you say so that is as good as <laughs> i need so Open thank you seal of approval
2: up. Thank yeah. you.
8: If, if I get the Pike Knight seal, none of y'all can say <laughs> nothing to me. I got what I need.
2: <laughs> there must be a Bruce Horak as a zombie story from
9: from set, though.
8: Yes, there are many because, again, I know Bruce is there. I know that this scary prosthetic is a prosthetic and that he will peel it off at the end of the day and return to his smiley, sunshiny individual. However, it was terrifying. (laughs) And the fear in my face is very real because Bruce is an incredible actor. Mm. And so when when Dan Liu, our director, says, hey, Bruce, why don't you scare Uhura a little bit? Um, He did. And I left very shaken. (laughs) Uh, uh, But that was one of those days where, like, we were doing tough stuff emotionally and I was so in my head of, like, it's 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 exactly as you said. It it's a lot of emotional heavy lifting, and I can't put it down, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or else that I'm not doing my job. And so I think Bruce felt that, and 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 did a really good job of like keeping me sane, oh, <laughs> really, <laughs> uh, and and keeping me centered. And and yeah, we there's that one scene in the elevator where he's just we're first introduced to oh, yeah. uh, uh uh to him and man that was a day that I was like I gotta call a break I'm so sorry this is just a lot for me happening because we kept doing it over and over and over again and I was hyperventilating and like it it was just a lot but then when as soon as he called cut Bruce was like how are you are you good how are we feeling like can I be helpful to you in any way am I getting too close is like like Bruce was just constantly checking on me Um, And as someone who occasionally has a difficult time advocating for themselves, uh, uh, it was really wonderful to have him there. He's the best. Zombie fight or no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you can find us, Open Pike Night, on basically any social media channel that you can think of. Uh, Threads, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Blue Sky. Just search at Open Pike. And if you'd like to get your voice on our stage, go to openpike.com slash join us. You can record a voicemail there directly, or if you prefer a little higher quality, which we deeply appreciate, you can send an MP3 of your clip to openpike at gmail.com. Cameron, when you're not on the Open Pike Night stage, where can folks get more of you?
2: You can find me watching Star Trek The Next Generation for the very first time, though we are almost complete. We're near the end of season six now. Also started Deep Space Nine and having a blast watching that. At Greenshirt87 will find us on Twitter, Greenshirt a newbie Trek through TNG, wherever you're listening to this podcast.
1: And don't forget to stick around for a little bit more talk about this episode with Uhura, themselves, Celia Rose Gooding. It's been a long night, and the Open Pike Night crew has a pretty serious deuterium spill to clean up, so we hope that you had a good time. Don't forget to clean up after yourselves, don't forget to tip your servers, and you can go anywhere you want, but you can't stay here.